Happy Sabbath. Once again, I want to welcome you all to the house of God this morning. It is such a joy for me to be back in New Zealand, to be back here in Christchurch in the South Island. I've looked forward to this. And uh, we've had some wonderful weeks in New Zealand, but I did not want to go back home without visiting Island Church. Amen. So thank you for your warm welcome. And uh, I am blessed to be here this morning, not alone, but together with my wife. Is she actually here in the room? Are you here, Sylvia? Oh, there she is, all the way in the back. Can you stand for a moment? You can also show our little... Oh, okay. <laughs> That's our little one. You'll get to see him afterwards, okay? Elias. And uh, we're very happy that he is with us here in New Zealand as well. And uh, it is special to be a parent and to have a little, a little son. Um, so again, just thank you for the invitation. And uh, there's a lot of special people in this room uh, for me, very special. As I just reflect back on my, my journey of faith, uh, I can really thank many people in this room for being part of that. Uh, you know, when I was nine years old, I grew up in New Zealand. I was born in New Zealand. My parents are Dutch, but when I was nine years old, we moved back to the Netherlands. But uh, before we left, there was a seed that was sown in my heart and in the hearts of my family, and that was Doug and Angela that shared the Adventist message with us, and we're just eternally grateful for that. And, uh, you know, Damon, I grew up with him, and to see that he's now the elder of this church is a great joy for me. And uh, so many precious people here. Taka that led out in, in the prayer, uh, having Bible studies with him back in 2011 after the earthquake, and now to see that he's baptized and the elder of this church is a great joy for me to see. Um, you have an amazing pastor, amen? So thankful for Gordon and uh, for so many people just that are here, the elders, the, everyone that has been part of, uh, of blessing my own journey. And uh, yeah, if I started listed, I would have to mention a lot of names here. So I'm just so thankful to many people here. Well, uh, a lot has happened in the meantime when I have, for the last time I was here in New Zealand was 2012. Uh, actually, right now I am pastoring a church in, uh, in Norway. Um, which uh, is an interesting experience. Um, I'll be doing that at least for this year on the west coast of Norway. I'm passing a church in the city of Bergen. And uh, so it's a new experience for me going from being an itinerant evangelist, traveling all across the world, to actually be in a congregation uh, for at least for a time being. And uh, we're very blessed by that. So Gordon, if you ever need an associate pastor, give me a call. So uh, I'd love to maybe come back someday to New Zealand and uh, be part of this congregation. Who knows how the Lord will lead. Uh, but it is a wonderful experience, and I'm so grateful to be able to open the word to you this morning and to share um, what God has laid on my heart. And uh, our message this morning is entitled, A Journey of Faith. A Journey of what, everyone? A Journey of Faith. And um, we're going to have another word of prayer before we get started, as I always like to pray myself and ask for the Holy Spirit to guide me as I break the words of life before God's people. So will you just bow your heads with me together another time as we ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father in heaven, we are so grateful to come before your throne of grace this morning. We're so grateful that we can open your word and we ask that you will send your Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth. And Lord, I pray that you, will not allow your, that you will not allow your truth to return unto you void, but accomplish that in which you are pleased. So be with us now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go on a little journey together, uh, a journey of faith. And the chapter we'll be looking at this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, a fascinating chapter. We are going to start our time in Hebrews 11, and we're going to actually end our time in Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to actually look at four main passages this morning. Uh, our first passage is going to be Hebrews 11. Then we're going to look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Then we're going to look at the story of the Israelites as they are on the borders of Canaan in Numbers 13 and 14. And then we'll land the plane, we'll end our time together back in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. So I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. Can you just hold up your Bibles for me this morning? Can you show me your Bible? Amen. Wonderful. Beautiful. Never come to church without a Bible. Amen. 
You need your Bible as we want to see for ourselves what the Word of God has to say to us. So take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews. That's in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews. And turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we will start our journey together in this chapter. Hebrews 11. Jed has already read for us very well the first two verses, but we'll read it once again. Hebrews 11 beginning in verse 1. This is the chapter of faith. It's a fascinating, beautiful chapter about what faith is and how it played out in the lives of various individuals throughout time. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, we have many examples, the biographies, the lives of individuals that lived by faith. And it begins, the chapter begins in verse 1 and it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. In other words, in order to have faith, you must be able to believe in something that you not necessarily see with your physical eyes. Right? We don't physically, we have not, I don't believe any of us, maybe some have, but most of us have not physically seen God. And yet we are here this morning because we believe in Him. We have faith in Him. And so faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 2 tells us that we can have a good testimony through faith or by faith. And then we have a lot of examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of how this played out in the lives of individuals. And the first individual that is mentioned is in verse 4, a man by the name of Abel. And so Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4, we read the following. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he, being dead, still speaks. Now, many of you will remember the story of Abel. He was the son of Adam and Eve, and uh, he was not the only son. He had an elder brother, an older brother, by the name of Cain. And you'll remember the story there in Genesis chapter 4, right after the fall, how Abel in faith brought a sacrifice before the Lord. He sacrificed a lamb, believing that that lamb pointed forward to the coming Messiah. And he did this in faith, believing that the Messiah would come to make an atonement for his sins. And so he puts his trust in the promise. And then his older brother Cain sees what it sees the sacrifice of Abel and how the Lord is pleased with his sacrifice and yet he is not experiencing the same because he did not follow the word of God he tried to bring his own sacrifice not the way that God had required well you know the story Cain becomes so upset he is so angered against his brother that he actually takes his life And so here in the very beginning of this journey of faith, this story of faith in Hebrews 11, we have the example of a person that we could say gave his life for his faith. His life was literally taken for his faith, for an act of obedience to God. Now I want you to take notice of the next individual that is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. There is a fascinating build up in this chapter. It is a comparisons are being made, contrasts are being made between various individuals. And the next individual that we encounter is a man by the name of Enoch in verse 5. Now take notice what it says about Enoch. Reading from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he what? That he pleased God. Interesting that right after the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, that Abel is mentioned right after that. The next example that we have is Enoch. Now, we don't know a lot about Enoch in Scripture. There are actually only a couple of verses that are dedicated to this individual. But what we do know is that he pleased God. And if we could come to the end of our lives and have that testimony, we can be very glad. Amen? (laughs) That we pleased God. He walked in obedience to the ways of God. The Old Testament says that he walked with God and he was not. He was taken. He was translated. He did not experience literal physical death. God took him up and he is with God in heaven right now. 
quite fascinating, listen very carefully, that in Hebrews chapter 11, we first have an example of Abel that died for his faith, and right after that, we have an example of Enoch who never tasted death. And so we can raise the question, right, is faith... Does faith mean that we are to give our lives? Or does faith mean that we will never taste death? Well, the answer is really yes, yes. Faith unfolds itself in a multiplicity of ways. Faith unfolds itself in a myriads of ways. And in different ways, faith is seen and experienced by different individuals. And it's interesting, as we will continue our journey here in, in Hebrews chapter 11, we will find this, this buildup of comparison and contrast between these individuals. You know, when I think about the life of Enoch, it's quite fascinating. Enoch, you know, he, uh, he walked with God, and then he had a son, the Bible tells us. And then, or, or actually it says, it says that after he had a son, he walked with God, and he was not. He was translated. There was some special experience that he gained by being a father, you know, and I'm a very uh, new father. Last year, we had little Elias. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was an itinerant minister, minister or evangelist traveling the world for, well, about 12, 13 years. Uh, and my wife and I had chosen not to have kids because we were traveling. We thought, I don't know how this is going to fit into our, into our schedule. But on many occasions, people would tell me that, Daniel, once you have a child, if you ever get a child in life, you will understand more deeper, more in a more significant way, the love of God. And uh, I'll be very honest with you. I thought to myself, well, I don't know how that will play out, you know, diapers and crying during the night. And I'm not so sure. But I can tell you today, a year into this, a year and a half into this, that it is true. When you become a parent, any parents here that can testify that you experience the love of God in a different way when you have a child? Oh, I remember for the first time holding that little baby and, you know, there's something just inside of you that just loves this little creature and you cannot explain it in words. And that's only a shadow of the love of God towards us. Fascinating. And so, indeed, Enoch had the experience of raising a child. He had the experience of walking with God. And the Bible says he was not. He was taken by faith. Well, let's look at the next individual that we encounter here in Hebrews chapter 11. Go with me to verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to what? Faith. So Noah, who had never experienced a flood, had never seen a flood, believed the word of God that a flood would come and therefore by faith he starts building an ark. He believes in something he has not yet seen. And yet he trusts in obedience to the word of God, and therefore he starts building this ark. Now, when you build an ark, that doesn't mean that you, that, that means that you can't travel around the world, because you have a task to do in one place. I mean, you could just imagine the building site where Noah is, you know, building away, and, and his family is with him, and, and those that he has hired are with him, and they are building, and Noah has a project he needs to focus on. He needs to be in one place for a long time. I mean, how long did it take for him to build that ark? It says 120 years. And so he's preaching and he's building and he is focused on that one task that God has given him. And look at the very next individual. This is fascinating. We continue in our journey here. Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 8. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So right after we have the story of Noah, or the example of Noah mentioned, we have Abraham. And what do we know about Abraham? Well, Abraham received a call, and you'll remember that the call that Abraham received was to go to a place, but he did not know exactly where he was going but in obedience, he responds to the word of God. In faith, not having seen the place where he's going, he is obedient and he trusts and he depends upon God. Now take notice here. We have an example of Noah that by faith stayed in one place and built an ark for 120 years. He didn't go anywhere. And then we have Abraham that by faith packs up his belongings and leaves. So let me ask you a question. What is faith? To stay in one place or to travel? 
Yes, yes. <laughs> Both. Isn't it fascinating that faith is like a diamond and you hold it up in the light and it reflects into all different directions. Faith unfolds itself. It is seen and experienced in a multiplicity of ways in different personalities and characters and people. And therefore, in chapter 11, we have Abel died by faith. We have Enoch never tasted death by faith. Noah stays in one place and builds an ark by faith. And Abraham goes to a place that he does not know by faith. Isn't that fascinating? Well, let's continue our journey together. Hebrews chapter 11 and go down to verse 11. Hebrews 11 verse 11. And the next example of faith is Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And listen to what it says about Sarah in verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So the next example we have is the example of Sarah, and who had a child by the name of Isaac. And this was the promised lineage that led eventually to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read through Hebrews 11 and I came to Sarah, I thought to myself, that's interesting. It really puts her in a good light here. Because if you remember the story from the Old Testament, did Sarah immediately believe in the promise? No. As a matter of fact, we know that she was the very one that came with the idea to Abraham, hey, Abraham, why don't you have a child with my servant Hagar? And this will be the promised seed because she believed that it, pos- it could not possibly happen that she would have a child. But isn't it fascinating that once she came to a, the point in her life where she put her faith fully in the word of God, that this is what God decided to remember about Sarah. I like to think of Hebrews chapter 11 as the remembrance of God. Now, God remembers everything, but he can choose to forget something. Are you with me? And he can choose to remember something significant. And it's interesting that in Hebrews chapter 11, this is what God decides to remember about these various individuals. And so you come to Sarah, and, you know, we have the story of Sarah in the Old Testament. We remember what happened, and yet God decides to remember about Sarah that she put her faith in the promise of God. As a matter of fact, I think that Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11 is one of the most beautiful uh, descriptions of faith in the Bible. Let's read it once more. Hebrews 11 verse 11 concerning Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. Now look at the last part of the verse. Because she judged him, capital H, God, faithful who had promised. My friends, listen very carefully. A definition of faith that you can go by is that faith judges him, God, faithful who had promised. That is faith, that you believe that God is able to fulfill his promise in your life. Amen? That, my friends, is faith. And Sarah came to that point and God remembered that about Sarah. And there are other individuals in Hebrews 11 that we have very different, we can remember different things about them. David is mentioned, Samson is mentioned, Rahab is mentioned. I mean, we can remember their lives. We can remember Rahab as a harlot. We can remember David as a murderer, as a, you know, an adulterer. But what does God remember about these individuals? He remembers their faith. He forgets their sin because they came to him in repentance. And therefore God put away their sin and remembered their faith. And this can be our story today. What do you say? I thought a little bit more enthusiasm today. What do you say? (laughs) Amen. Amen. All right. Don't be afraid to cheer on the preacher. Amen. All right. Now, let's go to our next individual. We're still in Hebrews chapter 11. And let's go to verse... 20, uh, verse um, 17, rather. Look at what it says. We have, we've just read about Sarah in verse 11, but let, let's go down to verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up 
Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now you might remember the story back in Genesis chapter 22, how Abram was called to sacrifice Isaac. Now God was not into human sacrifice at all, it was a test. And so when Abram came to the place of the sacrifice, God saw his willingness, his obedience, but then he intervened and there was a lamb that was provided which was a symbol of Jesus being provided for us. But isn't it fascinating that right here, first we read about Sarah, that in faith believed she would get a child, and then the next thing we read about is Abram, that in faith had to give up a child. And so the question is, is faith receiving a child, or is faith giving up a child? Both. Isn't it fascinating that throughout Hebrews 11, we have all these comparison and contrasts in the way that God is showing to us that faith unfolds itself in a multiplicity of ways. And so sometimes as Christians, sometimes as Adventists, we tend to want to make every, everyone like ourselves. This is my journey of faith, and the person sitting next to me better have the same journey of faith. But isn't it amazing to see that in Scripture, we see that God uses us all in different ways. We have all different talents, different resources, different uh, opportunities, influence, and different abilities. And God takes us where we are and unfolds us and, and develops us and shapes us and molds us and fashions us and seeks to use us in our personal uh, journey of faith. And therefore, let him use you in the way that he wants to. Don't necessarily look at someone else to find your journey. Are you with me? Your journey is a special one. Now, there is something that all of these individuals in Hebrews chapter 11 have in common though. And what they have in common is simply that they believed in something they did not see. Think about Abel. He died for his faith, but he believed that the sacrifice was pointing forward to Jesus. He had not seen the Messiah. He had not seen Jesus, but he believed he was coming. He believed something that he didn't see with his physical eyes. Enoch, when he walked with God, believed in God. He believed that God existed, though he had not seen God physically while he walked on this earth. Noah had not seen a flood, but in obedience, he builds a boat because he believed that God's word can be trusted and that it is coming. Abraham packs his stuff and goes to a place where he's never been because he believes in the guidance of God. Sarah believes that she's going to have a child, even though, humanly speaking, it seemed impossible. And Isaac took his son, believing that God would provide, even though the word had spoken to him that he was to sacrifice his son. All examples, my friends, are a fascinating picture of believing in something we don't see with our physical eyes. It is living by faith. And I like to think that we can be part of Hebrews chapter 11 today. I like to think of Hebrews chapter 11 as an unfinished story. An unfinished chapter. You know, how many, how many verses do we have? We have 40 verses. But I like to think that in heaven, God is still writing Hebrews chapter 11. And it's a long chapter. Amen? And perhaps we, living in the year 2016, by our decisions and choices to trust God, rather than what we see and experience with our physical eyes, to put our faith in God, perhaps we can be part of this chapter today. Today, what do you say? Can you imagine that when we come to heaven, we have access to the full book, to the full chapter of Hebrews 11, and perhaps in, in chapter 6,000, you know, 548, there's a verse about you and a verse about me. Amen? We can be part of this story of what it means to live by faith. Now, I would like to um, uh, go and focus a little bit on a particular individual that is mentioned here in Hebrews 11. And that is the life of Moses. And I want you to take notice of verse 23, where Moses is introduced and mentioned here in the story. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to, obey, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Fascinating. 
Moses evaluates the situation and he puts his faith in God because he realizes that there's something more than merely this life. And so he has all the pleasures of Egypt and yet he decides to suffer with his people because he looked at the bigger picture. He looked at the what? The bigger picture, the bigger picture of God's reward that would come. You know, it's interesting because uh, what we see many, what I see many times today, many Christians have bought into a certain theology, and I've given it a name so that you will remember this. The name that I've given to it personally is the just-in-case theology. And let me explain what that is. You know, many times, we have the world of God that is described here. We have the life of faith that is described here. This is the life that we're invited to live, Hebrews chapter 11. And yet what many times happens is we want that kind, we want that life, and heaven sounds good, the reward sounds good, God is great, we want to experience that, but at the same time we want to experience the best of this world here and now. And so just in case heaven is not real, I want to get the best out of this world, and so I put one foot in this world, but just in case heaven is real, I'll just put one foot there as well. Are you with me? And so we try to balance our lives just in case. And so we live a little bit, and, and you know you know what it's like, once a, once a week when we go to church, we live in God's world, and yes, there are angels, and there's the Holy Spirit, and there's God, and there's, there's, there's miracles, and there's, there's faith, there's power, but then when Monday morning comes, Sunday morning comes, or the rest of the week comes, we kind of step back into the, what we consider the real world. You know, the clothes we wear, the job we have, the money we earn, the food we eat. And so we balance our lives between God's world over here and the so-called real world that we experience. But my friends, it is time to abandon the just-in-case theology. What do you say? Because look at it. There is only really one world, and it's God's world. What do you say? There is a great controversy. It is real. There is a life of faith that you can live. It is real. There are angels right now in this room. There is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. He is risen. Amen? And therefore, we can have faith. We can live by faith. And it's not some imaginary story. It is a real experience that God wants to give to every single one of us here this morning. Amen? So let, let, oh, just abandon the just-in-case theology. Noah did not build, a, build an ark just in case. Amen. No, uh, Abram didn't pack up his stuff just in case. You know, these people, they, they gave their life, not just in case. Can you imagine the apostle Paul? Just in case, getting shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, cast out of cities, just in case there's a heaven, just in case Jesus has risen. No, they lived fully in God's world. By faith. And so did Noah. And so did uh, Abraham. And so did Moses. But I want to look a little bit closer at the calling of Moses. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to come back to the book of Hebrews as we, as we close off. But I want to take you for a moment back to the story of Exodus. As we look a little bit closer at the life of Moses. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus in the third chapter. That's the second book in the Bible. And the third chapter, and when you're there, you can say amen. amen. Exodus chapter 3. And I want to just look a little bit closer at the calling of Moses. Now, Moses died when he was 120 years old. And his life can be divided into three phases, three chapters, if you would want to say it that way, of 40 years. It's interesting, for 40, the first 40 years of his life, he was the prince of Egypt. For the second 40 years of his life, he was a shepherd in the wilderness. And then for his last period of 40 years, he was the leader of the Jews or the Israelites, the Hebrews, as he led them out of bondage through the wilderness. And then eventually Joshua led them into the promised land and Moses died in the wilderness. So three periods of 40 years. And the period that we're looking at here in, in Exodus chapter 3 is the transition from being a shepherd for 40 years to now being the leader of God's people for 40 years. So by this time, he is 80 years old and he receives the most significant call of his life. So, you know, if you're getting old and you think that God cannot use you, remember the story of Moses, amen? If you're about to retire, maybe God has the most important task for you still ahead. So here he is, 80 years old, and take notice of Exodus chapter 3, 
beginning in verse 3. Moses sees the burning bush, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Verse 4, so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he, see, and he said, here I am. Verse 5, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Quite fascinating. When God meets Moses and his journey of faith is now really going to get started here, God requires something of Moses. He asks Moses to do what? To take off his sandals from his feet. For he is standing in the very presence of God. A little bit further into the story, Moses is also asked to let go of his staff. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. If you are a shepherd in a wilderness, and in the wilderness there are sharp stones, there are snakes, there are scorpions, there are thistles, there are rocks. What is your only protection as a shepherd? The sandals on your feet and the staff in your hand. Isn't it fascinating that when Moses is about to embark upon the greatest journey of faith that he has yet ever experienced in his life, he is asked to give up that which humanly would protect him in this circumstance in his life. Fascinating. That, my friends, is a spiritual lesson for us. Because when you get into ministry, when you start sharing the word of God with those around you, you will find that you at times have to let go, figuratively speaking, of the staff in your hand and you have to take off the shoes that you are wearing. Figuratively speaking, you know, you cannot trust and rely upon your own source of strength. You know, we can think, oh, I'm doing well in life. I'm making a lot of money. I have a lot of influence. I rub shoulders with the right type of people. I have money. I have cars. I have, I have a business and I have a degree and I have the diplomas. I have the ability to do this. But you will find that when you step into God's world, which is the real world, when you step into the story of faith, that those things have little to say anymore. Are you with me? Because now a new chapter has begun, and it is a story, listen very carefully, a story of dependence. I mean, if I look back on my own ministry, and I was not trained officially, uh, I've never done any theology officially, but when I look back on my own journey of faith over the last 13, 14 years, I can sum it up in one word, dependence. Dependence upon God. I can't do anything without him. And when I feel that I'm capable, when I feel that I've got this together, God shows me very clearly that it's not about me, it's about him. Amen. And this is what you're going to experience when you step out into this journey of faith. And so Moses, he hears these words and he's experienced the call of God. Take notice of the words of God to Moses here in Exodus chapter 3. Verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And now God explains what he's going to do in verse 8. Listen very carefully. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pesicites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. And then in verse 10, Moses is invited into the story of God. And God says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know what I find so fascinating with this call of Moses? That God already outlines to Moses exactly what he is going to do. God is not coming to Moses and say, hey Moses, do you have a good idea what I should do with this problem of my people being in captivity? God is not giving a suggestion of what is going to happen. He's not giving a recommendation of what should happen. He is telling Moses exactly what is going to happen. You're going to lead them out you're going to go, you're going to, you're going to actually drive out the people, the Canaanites and all those other nations. You're going to drive them out and you're going to inhabit the land. I mean, this is the story of God. And Moses is not asked whether or not he thinks that this can happen. Moses is not asked to uh, any recommendation of how it should happen. The only thing Moses is asked is to step into the story. Amen? And we have a story of how God is going to finish the work on this earth. Amen? 
And you and I are invited to step into that story. And you know, when you step into God's story, then history becomes his story. I like that in English. History is his story. Amen? Our history can become his story. When we step out and we say, God, I believe you can do it. I trust you have the resources. I trust you have all the, 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 the things that I need to make this happen. And I believe that you can do it through me. And so Moses steps into God's story. Fascinating enough, 40 years before, he believed that he could do it in his own strength. He took the life of the Egyptian taskmaster. But that was not the right timing. That was not the right way. He believed with his education and his position in Egypt that he could actually do it, but God said no. And he re-educated him for 40 years as a shepherd. And when he came to the end of himself, God said, okay, now you can step into my story. And we are all invited into the story of God. God has a story for every single one of us in this room this morning. A special story of faith, a special journey of faith. And the question is, will you step into God's story for you? God has, let me say it this way. God had a story for you before you were born. You know, when God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, he says, I ordained you a prophet before you were formed in, in, in your mother's womb. Isn't that fascinating? Before you were formed in the womb, before you were physically here on this planet, God had a story for you, a story of faith. And the question is, will we allow that story to unfold in our lives as we walk by faith? And so Moses steps into God's story. He's a bit timid. He's a bit afraid, but he goes forward by faith. God uses him mightily to bring him out, the people out of Egypt through the desert, and they come to the borders of the promised land. And I want you to take notice what happens there. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. As they come to the borders of the promised land, Take notice, in Numbers chapter 13, you remember the story? They, just, they, they select 10 people, 10 spies, or 12 rather, 12 spies, and they are sent into the land of Canaan to search it out, to see if it's possible for them to go in and conquer the land. And so these 12 spies come back, and 10 of them have a certain report, and two of them have a very different kind of report. And we're going to read about this, Numbers chapter 13 beginning in verse 30, as we continue our time together here this morning, our subject, a journey of faith. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Caleb was one of those spies that would spy out the land to bring a report to the people. And he says in verse 30, let us go up when? Next week? Next month? Next year? No. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. So here Caleb, which was one of those spies, together with Joshua, that brought a good report of the land. They said, you know what? We can go up. We can conquer it. Not because we're strong. Not because we're able. But because God is with us. And we can do it at once, he said. He wanted to step forward in faith. But take notice of the 10 other spies, the 10 other men that gave a very different kind of report. I continue to read in verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And take notice of the reasons that are given, verse 32 and 33. And they gave the children of Israel a what kind of report? A bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great statue. For we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their own sight, and so we were in their sight. Two very different reports. One is trying to continue the journey of faith. Joshua and Caleb were aware that they were on a journey of faith. They had already experienced many things in the wilderness where God had intervened for them, providing water for them, providing manna for them. They believed that the journey of faith was now to continue. And therefore they said, you know, without any um, reservation, with confidence and boldness, they said, hey, let's go forward. God is with us. But then there are 10 others that say, no, 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 no. 
they are trying to stop the journey of faith right here. Yeah, perhaps God has been with us in the past, but, but this one, this one's too difficult. We can't go forward here. The, they are much stronger than we are. It's interesting that in God's church today, you will find these two reports. Wherever I travel, wherever I minister, different countries, different places, different churches, you will still find these two reports amongst God's people today. Think of it this way. The land that they were to conquer can be well compared to the world that we have to conquer with the gospel. Before we ultimately go to the heavenly Canaan in heaven, there is a land that we first have to conquer here and now. The Bible tells us that the gospel will go into all the world and then the end will come. And therefore, we have a gospel to bring into the world. But whenever you come with evangelistic plans, whenever you lay out a plan for a church, you will many times get two different kinds of answers or results or um, uh, feedback. And that is some will say, yes, let's go forward with this. And others will say, well, this cannot happen. You know, it's interesting that I've seen this, this story in the Old Testament repeat itself in our very day and age. Repeat itself amongst God's professed people. Some say, yes, let's go forward. Let's continue the journey of faith. While others say, no, it's not possible. And isn't it interesting that when the reasons that are given that it's not possible are actually, listen very carefully, exaggerated reasons. Go back to verse 33. Look at what they say about the people of the land. We saw the giants. And then in the end it says we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Now is it true? Is it, is it actually true that the people of Canaan were like four or five times as high as the, Canaan, uh, as the, as the Hebrews? No. I mean, perhaps their genes, you know, they were a little bit taller than usual. But certainly not four or five times their size. In other words, an exaggerated picture is given in order to discourage the people from journeying on in faith. And what we see many times today, when it comes to evangelism, many times an exaggerated picture is given of the circumstances that we face in our world. Now, I'm not undermining the fact that we are up against uh, formidable challenges in our Western society when it comes to reaching out with the gospel. But I have seen that many times the giants of materialism and the giants of humanism and secularism are made out to be a lot taller than they are in reality. Are you with me? And so we hear, you know, oh, you can't share books anymore because people don't read. Have you heard that one? Or you, you shouldn't do public evangelism because people don't come. Or you shouldn't do this or that. People are too secular. They're too humanistic. They're too materialistic. And the giants are made out to be huge. And so we just feel like we're little grasshoppers that can't witness anymore. But let me take you to another passage in the next chapter as we look at the good report that is given. And how we should approach the challenges that are before us as a people. Go to Numbers chapter 14. And take notice of verse 7. This is again the words of Joshua and Caleb here. Numbers 14, looking at verse 7. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, these are the two spies, the good report is given. And they say, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. And I love verse 8. Listen to this. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Look at this. For they are what? They are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Isn't it powerful? That either we can look at the world around us, the world that we are to conquer with the gospel. You can come to your job. You can come to your school. You can go to your neighbor. And either you can go as a grasshopper in the sight of a giant, afraid and timid with the message that God has given you. Or you can go forward like Joshua and Caleb and say, hey, hey, these guys are bred for us. Amen. I mean, their, their protection has departed from them. Could it be that the Holy Spirit could go before you and remove the protection of secularism and remove the protection of materialism and take away the protection of all that people have built up of materialism so that the Spirit can guide you in your witnessing? Could that happen? Amen. Amen. One person agrees with me this morning. <laughs> Amen. We need to move forward by faith believing that God can do for us far more than we can start dreaming or expecting. 
God wants to remove the barriers in people's lives. I have found it fascinating that, you know, that God will lead us, like he led the disciples in the book of Acts, to people in a specific time, at a specific place, in a specific moment of their experience where they are waiting to hear the word of God. The Spirit has done the world, done the work to remove the protection so that they can receive the gospel of Jesus. It's a story of faith. It's a journey of faith that every single one of us here this morning is invited to experience. And you know what? If you don't experience this journey, you're being left out of a lot of fun. Because it's the most joyful experience to know that you're in the plan of God. What do you say? To know that God has led you in a special place at a special time to reveal a special message to someone that is in need. God is calling us to experience a journey of faith, to be part of Hebrews chapter 11 and to prepare this world for the coming of Jesus. And yet, what is it? What is it this morning? What is it in our lives that keeps us from this experience? And so in closing, I want to bring you to our last passage here this morning. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We started our journey this morning in the book of Hebrews and we end our journey in the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn to Hebrews and the third chapter. As I believe that we have here an indication of what is hindering us in our journey of faith. Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to look at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. What is it that hindered the people of God when they were going to move into Canaan? And what is it that is hindering the people of God today? Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, the Bible says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of, what does it say? Unbelief. Unbelief, my friends, is the opposite of faith. Lest there be in anyone an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, referring back to the rebellion of the Hebrews when they came to the borders of Canaan. They believed the wrong report, my friends. And because they believed the wrong report, they died in the wilderness. My friends, if we're going to believe the report that we cannot share the gospel, we will die in this world. Listen to me. We are not going to be the final generation if we harden our hearts in unbelief then our children or our grandchildren will be the one that will finish the work here on earth. Are you with me? But if we want to be part of the generation that God will use to finish his work, to spread the gospel, to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus, we must put away an evil heart of unbelief and embrace the faith that Christ provides. Amen? Look at, what the, look at what the Bible says in the end of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. It says, so we see that they, referring back to the Hebrews there in the wilderness, they could not enter in because of unbelief. My friends, all the sin of your life right now can be summed up in one word, unbelief. All of your struggles and problems, all of what you are facing right now can be summed up in that one word, unbelief belief. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief stops the journey of faith. Unbelief is an enemy to the promises of God. And unbelief is the greatest curse that is upon God's people today. And I believe that as we are gathered here together this morning, that God has a message for every single one of us. And his message is a personal message to you individually, calling you to a journey of faith. And so let us just take a moment in closing here to ask God, God, where is the unbelief in my heart? What is it that is keeping me back from experiencing the joy of this journey of faith? What, what am I doing right now? What sin have I bought into? What sin am I carrying in my life that is keeping me from the experience of faith and from being part of finishing the work. Hebrews chapter 11 says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. 
My friends, we are only guaranteed today. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. Are you with me? Our lives could be cut short tomorrow. You know, tomorrow I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to travel all the way back to Norway tomorrow. Thousands and thousands and thousands of kilometers on one of those, you know, planes. I'm I'm not sure that I'll ever arrive. I hope I will. But today is the day, amen? Today is the day. Tomorrow you might not be alive anymore. Today, will will you give your heart unreservedly to the one that gave his heart unreservedly to you on the cross of Calvary? Amen? He gave 100%. He didn't give 99% when he walked up that hill of Calvary. He gave you everything that he could give you. Won't you give him back what he deserves? A life of faith. Believing the promises of God that he is faithful to do that which he has promised. Again, I repeat myself once more. The greatest curse that is upon God's people today and the greatest curse upon our lives individually is a life of unbelief. A evil heart of unbelief, but it can be changed, amen? God has promised that he wants to give us a new heart, a heart that beats in harmony with his own heart, a heart of faith. And so this morning I want to make an appeal, and it's very simple. If you identify in your life, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even right now, if you identify in your life that there are areas of unbelief, there are areas where you have limited the power of the Holy One in your life, There are areas where you have held back the promises of God. But this morning, you want to say, God, help me to be in you. God, help me to have a life of faith. I want to be part of the story of Hebrews 11. I realize there is unbelief, but I believe that you can transform me. I believe that you can give me a new heart. If that describes you, will you just raise your hand this morning? And say, I want to be part of that journey of faith. I need your help, Lord. I need to depend fully upon you. And I pray that even this moment, as the word has been spoken to you, the words not of man, but the words of God, that this may be a transforming moment, a moment, a moment in which you step away from the just-in-case theology. You abandon that just-in-case theology, and you say, I want to live in one world, and that's the world of faith. It's the world of scripture, and I want to be part of Hebrews 11. Amen? Won't we just kneel down together if we can and pray that God will lead us into this amazing experience. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we can come before your throne of grace this morning. Lord, you are worthy of all our praise, all our honor. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for each and every one of us in sending your Son to die on our behalf. Thank you that our sins are forgiven through your name and that we can receive a new heart that beats in harmony with your own heart, the heart of our Heavenly Father. God, thank you so much for the experience of faith that is not just reserved for certain people in certain places, but that is given to each and every single one of us. We all have a journey of faith. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll remove the heart of unbelief, that you'll remove any obstacle that stands in the way between you and us right now, and that you will breathe your spirit upon us, Lord, that we will sense that you are very near to guide us and sustain us Lord, help us to give way so that you can be seen in our lives. Help us to, figuratively speaking, let go of that staff, take off those sandals, and dwell in your presence. And we thank you for this experience. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here in Island Church. Lord, you know this, this church is dear to my heart. And I pray that you will lead it forward, onward, that it may be a conquering force for your gospel in this city of Christchurch. For I ask this in your beautiful name and let all of God's people say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.